This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Romano, thanks very much for coming back on Talk Your Book. Really appreciate your time. Before we get into uh, your stock selection, maybe you could start by telling us uh, about Katana Asset Management and uh, how you guys look to invest. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us back here again. Um, so, look, we are... Uh, style agnostic so we genuinely do look to try and employ the best precepts from all different investment styles um, we're risk averse so we're not about the best returns possible we're about the best risk adjusted returns um, so we try and build a lot of, of buffer into everything we do we run a very diversified portfolio so generally 50 to 60 stocks we don't borrow money no derivatives no short selling long only and um, you know we often run sort of 15 to 25 percent cash to the cycle as well and what stock do you want to talk about today? Yeah, I was a bit torn, actually, because I want to talk about Raise, but it's had a bit of a tear, and I think it needs to consolidate for a bit. So I'm going to run through um, Keener Securities, which is um, the convergence of what I term deep value with genuine earnings growth. Now, I'm familiar with value. Talk, talk me through deep value and what the difference is between the two. Yeah, deep value is a term that we use for something that's another standard deviation, another measure, again, away from market averages. So... You know, at the moment, value might be something with a, a single-digit PER or, you know, uh, 10, 11 times earnings versus your market running at, sort of, you know, 17, 18 times. But deep value is something where it's another level again. So it's something where it's right down at that five, six times earnings mark and the company's either priced to fail or it's priced to, at some stage, um, undergo a serious re-rating. And talk us through Keener Securities and, and their business model and what they do. Yeah, so Keen is um, a full-service bank based in uh, – was just PNG. They've now moved into Fiji, so that, that diversifies their risk again. Um, the CEO is the, uh, the ex-head of Westpac um, uh, Asia South Pacific, so he knows that space very well. And they were quite a sizable player right in the PNG market. Uh, but then in, in September 2019, they had a very serious acquisition. They took out ANZ's um, PNG assets. Uh, and then probably the real game changer for them is December 2020 when they purchased Westpac's assets in PNG and Fiji. Now, that was a really serious acquisition for them because, you know, it's moved them into sort of um, second place pretty much overall. Gives them a much larger balance sheet to get some of the higher margin um, uh, sort of work and, and um, uh, services, especially foreign exchange there but also substantially increases their economies of scale. And, um, and so, you know, for example, with the Westpac acquisition, the customers increased by 400%, you know, net loans are up by 275%, uh, branches and ATMs up by 180%. So, you know, they've really grown out that, that offering there. There'll be some huge synergies to come down the track. Uh, but also importantly, they diversify the risk base because they now become the number three player in Fiji with one acquisition. So it's really starting to build it out. And it makes sense because the banks, you know, the, the major banks are looking to concentrate on core operations. Places like PNG and Fiji really are rounding areas for them. Yeah, so it's almost buying a non-core asset. Do you feel like you're more likely to get some value? Because for those big Australian banks, they really just see that as a, a potential risk to their business model and not something that's really going to drive shareholder value. So their main interest is to just get it off their book 
expeditiously rather than try and get you know the biggest price possible and, and it, uh, continuing to hold that business unit for for a longer term time frame. You look spot on. I mean, the the danger for Westpac and ANZ was that they had to make sure that whoever bought those assets was a safe pair of hands because they could have got undergone serious brand damage if they had gone to the wrong hands. There were some, you know, some other um, suitors that were probably going to potentially create some problems from down the track. So I think if you look at so the price that they, for example, the Westpac transaction, I mean, they picked up 55% of that acquisition was in capital. So they've, they've pretty much, you know, covered half that purchase cost as it is. But also importantly, they bought it on a, on a COVID-impacted year. So the multiples they paid were on a year where um, COVID had probably taken somewhere around about a third off the top line and the bottom line for um, for Westpac. So they bought them on depressed earnings already, um, bought it sort of 0.4, you know, 0.4, 0.5 times book value. Um, so, you know, they picked up some, some very good assets that they know very well that are right in their sweet spot. I mean, no one knows these assets better than, than the team at um, at Kena, and, uh, and importantly, they'd already raised all the all the monies they needed to, and we'll see um, uh, a couple of very important multinational development banks come in to do the the debt and, and capital raising to uh, to round out the acquisition. I think Westpac took a two hundred thirty million dollar loss on that asset sale, so that probably gives you some flavour of of their willingness to just get it off their books. You, you mentioned the CEO being ex Westpac. How does that relate to the integration risk when you're buying a business that you should know intimately well? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, it reduces the risk substantially because, A, he's got a long track record of, of operating those jurisdictions, especially PNG and Fiji. So, you know, he's familiar with all the, the nuances that, that goes along with that. Um, secondly, he knows those assets quite well. Uh, and, you know, thirdly is the fact that, you know, he's operating already a, a bank that's, you know, was number two in the retail space prior to the acquisition. So he knows... You know, he knows how the demographics, what the, the loan books look like and how they're likely to perform, you know, what's likely, what growth you can expect to see, what areas to target. I think it's also important to note too that, you know, if you look at the senior management team, um, that three of the senior management team are also ex-Westpac executives. So in that region. So, you know, he's brought in a really good team. He's When he came to Keener Securities, he had a vision for, um, building it out, and he's certainly doing that now. And he's built out a, a frontline team ahead of the curve, and now we're starting to see why he's brought some of those people in. And we'll get to the numbers shortly. And I think you phrased it as deep value, but to me, it looks it, it looks bloody cheap. Uh, the reason I guess it's cheap is a it's it's not a very well researched stock by investment house in Australia, but it's also based in PNG and Fiji. What sort of work have you done or, or how did you get comfortable with, with being in those jurisdictions and perhaps what's the helicopter view of those two economies? Yeah, look, they're both really important points. Firstly, on, on the research front, there's only one broker, Morgan's at the moment, that are, that are covering um, this stock and that's the risk and the opportunity. So it's a risk, of course, because with only one broker covering it, the house broker, then, you know, you, you, the level of, of analysis and due diligence and so forth is is a step removed from where you've got, say, three or four tier one brokers. So that's the first issue. But the opportunity there, of course, is that, um, you know, mortgages have a great track record of, of identifying stocks ahead of the curve, especially in this market capitalisation range. And if this is another one of those stocks where in due course we start to see other brokers um, initiate research coverage, then invariably that's a great trigger for re-rating the share price. That's the first thing. In terms of jurisdictions, look, the reality is, Chris, is that, you know, we're not close enough or clever enough 
to know things ahead of the curve. So by the time the numbers are, by the time we're starting to see um, the loan books perform in a way that we would not expect them to perform, it'll already be factored in the share price and, and we'll be reading the same as everyone else. So what we've had to do there is understand firstly the historical um, uh, machinations in, in those jurisdictions. And we haven't done so much Fiji, but certainly PNG, understand traditionally how loan books run, you know, bad debts and doubtful debts and arrears and so forth, and, and just get ourselves broadly comfortable with, with those metrics. But then the reality is what we've tried to do is build in so much of a buffer that even if we see things that we don't expect to see, we are pretty much protected from those outcomes. And as an example, I mentioned that, you know, on the Westpac component of the transaction, they picked up a 55% capital, you know, as opposed to say an Aussie bank, which runs about 11% capital. Now, if you look at um, what that means overall, it means that Keen is probably going to be running somewhere around about 38, 39% overall capital ratio, uh, which is a huge, huge buffer to enable them to um, take on some, some big hits to the bottom line um, and still not even really flinch. So we've tried to, as I said, you know, if it's companies that we can get more access to them and closer to them, better understand them, then we'll, we'll do the work. Otherwise, you've got to have that, that uh, buffer, that risk margin. And in this case here, we think we've got that. And so talk me through some of the, the numbers. Talk me through, so the market cap, the PE ratio and what the, the current dividend yield is. Yeah, so market cap, you know, it's mid-range there. So it's sort of, it's we think it can sort of very easily head up to that five to seven hundred million market cap there, around the target price of dollar fifty. Um, so it's not tiny. Liquidity is improving, which is probably more important than market cap for us. So you can get some really small companies with good liquidity and some larger companies with poor liquidity. So liquidity is turning over the stage where it's probably about two times two days turnover for the size that we're looking for. So not great, but not poor either. And certainly we're seeing since the last um, capital raising, we've certainly seen that liquidity take a, um, uh, you know, a milestone in, um, incremental improvement. So that's that's the first thing. But in terms of numbers, you know, um, on our numbers and, and based on what the work that we've seen from Morgan's, we we're looking at around about six and a half times on the current year's earnings, moving to around about four and a half times next year because in the 2022 financial year, we start to see all the synergies come through. So all the numbers that have been modelled for this first year are pre-synergies. You know, there's, there's, there's bank branches that overlap, there's ATM that overlap, there's credit teams that overlap, there's all these things that overlap. They're going to be able to pull out some, some serious capital, uh, some serious um, operational savings there. So, you know, four and a half times 2022 earnings uh, looks realistic for us. You know, it, it's not a huge stretch. It's taking it back to um, EPS levels. Um, that it was sort of 12 to 18 months ago prior to the last capital raise. So that's very feasible. Yields are sort of looking at just under 10% for this financial year. And, you know, the numbers out of the Morgans is up at 16% for next financial year. We're not too dissimilar. You know, we see that um, the capital rate buffers and ratios are so... Uh, are so flush there that if they deliver on the profit in the way that they anticipate, then we will see a very serious level of capital come out to um, uh, to shareholders. Are they franked or unfranked, those yields? So the dividends are unfranked, um, being because all their earnings are offshore. So that is one thing to take into consideration. But even at, say, 9.5%, 10% for this year, you know, it's probably three times your, your net, three times your, sorry, your, your franked yield from uh, banks or say two times your grossed up yield on the banks yeah. domestically. 
And in terms of a, a stock like this, if we're in the euphoric stage of a, a bull market, uh, you know, we're seeing the buy now, pay later stocks just going berserk. A lot of the, the penny dreadful mining stocks are, are on a tear. Not being invested in this late stage or this euphoric stage is a risk because capital appreciation is so swift. But by the same token, if you are just in the names that are exploding, you're exposed for when and if a correction does come. Do you share that sort of philosophy and do you find some comfort being in, how you phrased, a deep value stock at this stage of the, uh, the bull market cycle? Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, we're definitely in the euphoric phase. Um, of, of, this, of the uh, bull market cycle, the fourth stage. Now that can be an accentuated phase. So we could have, we could have, you know, quite a few months to run yet. Uh, the, you know, so, so from that end, I think there's there is risk, but it's not at the the, the back end of that phase. Um, in terms of you know where we see this is this is where you make your quickest money, your hottest mm. money, your biggest money, but it's also the riskiest money most definitely. And and you're spot on because there is a big there's a big gap between a hot stock with no valuation support and a company that's got that genuine valuation support. So, you know, certainly from our end, we'd like to, and we'll, we'll play all ends of the market. We're playing the buy now, pay later stocks. We play them a different way. We're playing them with very strict stops. We're playing them as a momentum trade. We understand there's no intrinsic value in some of these companies. Mm. And so when the price dips, you know, it's straight out. When the price tips on something like Kena, we're more likely to, to get allow it time to rest, make sure double check our thesis, and then probably add to our position. And talk to me about the yield curve steepening and, and what that can do for bank margins. Obviously, over there in WA, there's a lot of resource investors that are looking at the 10-year in the US going up and thinking it's going to be good for resource stocks. But how does that translate into the potential for bank margins as well? Yeah, spot on. I mean, you know, we've really been in a tough environment for banks because we've had a declining yield curve. As the yield curve starts to recover, and we're seeing, you know, 120-odd over for the US 10 at the moment, if that heads up to sort of 200 basis points over, then that creates a lot more um, scope for banks to expand their net interest margin, the NIM. Um, they can do it in two ways, of course. They can hide a lot more margin there. And also, of course, the jaws, the difference between what they're paying on, say, deposits versus what they're lending money out at. So, you know, banks are one of the major beneficiaries, along with the resources with, with, um, with inflation. Banks are one of the major beneficiaries of a rising yield curve. And I think that's been lost in a lot of people. I think we've had a, a one-way yield curve for 35 years, literally. You know, I think as this starts to turn around, I think they'll, uh, they'll come into their own little... Beautiful. Well, it's the, uh, the very idea of Talk Your Book was to get stocks on uh, well, my radar and on the, the viewers' radar that... That not too many people are talking about it and Kena Securities, I reckon, would definitely uh, definitely fit the bill. So it was an awesome pick and uh, thanks very much for coming on and, and talking about it. Pleasure. Thanks, Chris. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.